What do you say after an introduction like that? <laughs> Thank you, Julian. We've been family friends with Julian for many years, since early 2000s probably. We even saw him when he was living in England. Yeah. We had pizza together when you were in London. I still remember. But it's such a privilege to be here. It's such an honor. I've been traveling around South Africa for about two weeks now. I had an amazing time in Cape Town. God's really moving in Cape Town. We had an amazing time this morning too. And I'll share a testimony quickly from last week actually that I feel like God's just breathing on right now. I was sharing at a church called Debron Church, and that's the best I can pronounce it. I'm not Afrikaans. I have no idea what it means. They were sharing testimonies on stage while I was preaching of people that got healed. I just had to buy faith, like, amen, that's awesome. I had no idea. But I was getting ready in the morning for the church service, getting my hair done. This takes time. It doesn't happen. Over. There's effort. So... I'm getting ready in the morning, and I feel like God gives me this word for the church. So, first, I mean, rewind a week before, the pastor gets a phone call, a random call. This woman on the other end of the line says, hey, um, when is your church? Can I come to your church? So he says, well, that's random. This random woman's calling me. Sure, you can come to my church. This is the address. Pull through. So, he, he hangs up, nothing happens. That Sunday morning, I get this word from God, and I release it in the church services, saying that this church is going to be known for people coming, that surgeons and medical people have said, it's your last chance, but there's a church you can still go to. That the church will be known as a people that it's the last chance. You have cancer, you're dying, you have this. We can't do anything to you but go to this church. So I'm releasing this word. Great word. <laughs> We don't know. This woman stands up, an Indian woman. She says, listen, I'm the one that called you. I, I went to a surgeon. They said, 10 years ago, I heard this pastor preach. We can't do anything for you, but go to this church. But, and she's from Durban. So she's flowing down just for the church service. So in the midst of releasing the word, it's already fulfilled. She's sitting there. She comes up on stage. We lay hands on her. We command the cancer to leave. She has cancer. She comes up to us afterwards and she says, listen, she starts unbuttoning her blouse. So we're like, no, no. She's like, she's like no, the cancer's leaving. So we're like, oh, praise God. But she literally can feel the cancer shrinking inside of her breast. Isn't that amazing? The prophecy had already been fulfilled when it had been spoken. And I share that because I feel like God's releasing a word for this church tonight. And I feel like it's already in motion. But I saw this picture of depressed and broken people coming in here and being set free. And I feel like there's people here tonight that are struggling with depression. Doctors have told you it's a chemical imbalance. They've told you you'll live the rest of your life on tablets. You'll live the rest of your life struggling. They're going to tell you that's not true. It's not true. My grandmother had 15 years of mental illness, in and out of hospitals, mental institutes in the 80s. And what would happen back then is you'd get put in a wet bed and electrocuted. That's what they would do. So after being in these wet beds three or four times, she knew she was going to have to go back because it was getting worse. And she prayed a prayer to God. Someone else dragged her to church. She prayed a prayer. And she said, God, if you don't heal me in the next seven days, I'll kill myself. She didn't want to live anymore. A friend drags her to church six days later. She doesn't even want to go. In worship, she feels a slight touch on the top of her head, nothing else. She gets completely set free from all mental illness. Wow. After that, she goes to over 70 nations preaching the gospel. Over 70 nations preaching the gospel. So I believe that's a word for this church, that depressed people are going to come in and might already be struggling within the rooms. And I want to tell you that God can set you free. Just one touch from God is all you need. It's not a chemical imbalance that you were made with. It's an attack from the enemy. And God's bigger than that attack. Because what people often say is it's an attack. It's a chemical imbalance. I was born with it. And we often say to people, well, when did it start? Was it when something traumatic happened in your life? And the answer 99% of the time is yes, it started with a traumatic experience. So that shows you that it's not a chemical imbalance that you lived with your whole life, but rather something went wrong in your life and the enemy attacked you and we've taken it as our identity, but it was never supposed to be ours. 
So I want to encourage you that if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling, if you're going through something in life, whatever the mental illness may be, God can set you free tonight. Just one touch from God. And I believe it's already in motion. As the word's being spoken, now you're getting set free. Because the Bible says, as you speak the word, the Holy Spirit will confirm it with signs and wonders. Mark 16. But like Julian said, I'm a part of a group in um, Europe. We live in Germany. It's called Awakening Europe. We live right on the border of France and Switzerland. Literally 10 minutes from each nation. It's a very hard place to live. <laughs> really suffering for the gospel in the vineyards and the orchards. Picking fruit off the trees. Really difficult, I know. And what we do is we hire stadiums in some of the cities and nations where the pastors tell us it's the hardest. We're literally going into these nations where even the pastors are saying it's impossible, it's not going to happen. We've had pastors fly from Europe to America to meet with us just to say it's not going to work. That's an expensive meeting just to tell us it's not going to work. So long, that's commitment to unbelief. You know what I mean? It's commitment. But we literally go into these nations. One of them was Stockholm last year, which was known as one of the most atheistic cities in the world. One of the most humanistic, to the point of where we have a friend of ours who's a teacher. And this little boy was running down the passage. And she said, hey, little boy, stop. And the principal called her in and said, you don't get to decide what gender that boy is. He hasn't decided yet. So we're going into nations like that where pastors are saying it's impossible. It's harder for us to win pastors than souls for the first few months. Because the pastors hate each other. But we go into those nations and we see God move incredibly in places where everybody says it's impossible. HIV gets healed. Cancer gets healed. And people question and say, what's the point of a stadium event? It's all about one person. And what I tell them is this. Even at Stockholm, I went up to one Muslim man the week after the event. And I just said in the mall, hey, Jesus loves you. That's all. And this Muslim man looked at me and he said, you know what? My whole life, no one's ever shared the gospel with me. But you're the fourth person in four days to tell me about Jesus. So that's the power in a stadium event. Because our heart is not just that we gather, but that everybody goes out in the streets. And that's my role. I oversee the outreach of our events. So 10 to 20,000 people going out at once. A lot of admin work. Amen? Not as exciting. Praise God for people with the gift of admin. If you want to have a ministry, that's the number one need early on, is the gift of admin. But, so we see amazing things happen over there, and it's a real privilege just to serve over there and see what God's doing. But it's incredible to be here, and I'm so thankful for Pastor George letting me share here. It's just, you have an amazing church, and I'm so excited for what God's, what God's going to do. When I was in worship, I felt like God was telling me like He wanted to heal something very specific. I felt like there was someone that's been struggling like specifically with left knee pain. A lot of left knee pain. Who is that? Can you stand? Is it very swollen? No. Can you walk up here? I just want to pray for you. So it's really painful right now? Okay, let me pray for you. Right now, in Jesus' name, we command complete healing. In Jesus' name to your knee. Amen. Can you try it out for me? Give us a try. Yeah, whatever you want, a little spin. You can be honest. A little bit twingy. Okay, let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for healing right now in the name of Jesus. We command healing to that knee in Jesus' name. All pain to leave right now in the name of Jesus. Okay, amen. Okay, I actually feel a few more words. Thank you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call out some words. If it applies to you, stand up. I'm sure you guys are used to this, right? Okay, I like that. Normally I have to explain. That takes five minutes of my time away. So I felt like someone specifically had back pain. What I've seen recently is people's backs aligning. Like literally scoliosis snapping back into place. Take it. Yeah, seriously, stand up if you have back pain or anything like that. Recently I saw a girl with a year and a half of back pain and constant scoliosis come back into place in a meeting. I also had someone I called out. Someone had a car accident. This man got healed. When he was six years old, he was in a car accident. He was over 50 years old. He had back pain his whole life, and God set him free in an instant. 
So even sometimes when we lose hope, God can still heal you. It's not about your belief or your hope. God's the one that's going to do it for you. Okay? One more. Um, left shoulder pain. If you have left shoulder pain, just stand. Arthritis. I'm feeling arthritis. Thank you, God. And I keep seeing swelling in the knees. Like if you have problems with your knees swelling or your joints swelling up, I don't know what it is, but something to do with like water retention or swelling. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Okay, and the last one is hip pain. I feel like God wants to heal hips. Okay. Okay, this is what we're going to do. You guys know the people around you. Pray for these guys. Let's pray for you. Just a quick prayer. God wants to heal them more than you do. So just pray for them. Just command the healing to leave in Jesus. Command healing in Jesus' name. The sickness to leave. We want God to stay. Yeah, we command healing right now in Jesus' name. All pain leave every back aligned right now in Jesus' name. Backs aligned in the name of Jesus. Arthritis leaves, pain leaves in Jesus' name. Complete healing to everybody in this room right now in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Okay, amen. Wrap it up. Ask them to test it out. Can you guys give it a test if you got prayed for? Give it a little bit of a test. Check it out. See if you got healed. Can anyone feel a difference? Anyone? Going once. There's one. What did you have? What was wrong? Lower back pain. And it's gone? Crazy. Praise God. Anybody else feeling a difference? There was some pointing. Someone's getting thrown under the bus on this side. Okay, they're shy. I have a testimony that, can you come up and share that just very quickly? I just thought this was awesome. Could it, yeah, you share it. Um, I quickly just explained to Dylan that during, what he doesn't know is through this church, I've been through um, a series of healings. Um, motocross growing up, very damaged lower back. And during the worship, uh, the word I actually gave to George was that I felt that the whole congregation had moved close to the throne room and that God wanted to give gifts or something. It was quite emotional. After that, I continued worshiping and my, something happened. Basically, my lumbar started to align. I could feel it. And I felt the Lord saying, new disc, stronger spine. New disc, stronger spine. So I, I'll probably do an MRI in the new year and then actually bring you my different MRIs and you can have it. Can you do anything different now that you couldn't do before? Um, it wasn't about lack of mobility. It was about being very cautious. So I could feel I'm a very analytical person. So when something's off or wrong, a person or myself, I can feel, I feel like there's more disc. Okay. Praise God. Isn't that amazing? I'll share a cool testimony. Since it's the night service, you always get more stories at the night service. But... I was in Belgium recently, and this is one of my favorite stories about healing because it's like my mind couldn't really comprehend it in the moment, which is always amazing. But this church invites me in to speak. It's this church in Belgium. I get there. The pastor tells me, listen, we never have guest speakers in. Never. Like my dad goes and ministers there. He doesn't get, like no one gets an invite. For some reason, I get an invite. So now I'm like, okay, this is awesome. I literally, on the last trip, I asked the associate pastor, why do they invite me? And his serious answer was, I have no idea. <laughs> That's kind of awkward. Uh, okay, well, praise God. So I walk in. They say to me, well, well, we're really excited to have you preach. It's going to be amazing. Just one thing, though. We're a little bit skeptical of healing, so just be careful. So I'm like, okay. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to speak on? He's like, well, speak about preaching the gospel and healing the sick. So I'm like, okay. 
I have to be very careful. So in a very honoring way, I'm preaching about preaching the gospel and healing the sick and making sure I'm really honoring the church and the pastors. And at the end, I come to this crossroad of where I have to decide whether I'm going to demonstrate the healing part or just come to a prayer to close. That's the hard part. And I feel like God says, call out words of knowledge and get them to pray for each other. So now I'm like, okay, I'll risk never getting invited back. That's fine. I'll take my one risk. I'll be obedient. So the people stand up like we just had now. Some people get up. And it's the only time in Belgium where I had no translator. There was no translation for me. So these people are standing up, and they begin to pray. I release a quick prayer. At the end of the night, I'm standing on the side speaking to a group of people, and a man and a woman come forward to speak to me. So the woman starts with saying, this man understands no English, so I'm going to translate for him. He needs prayer. So I'm like, okay, what does he actually need prayer for? So she goes and says, he doesn't believe in healing. So I'm like, okay, why does he need prayer? She goes, no, you don't understand. He's had constant back pain. So I'm like, okay, I can pray. She goes, no, you can't pray. He's had constant back pain for years. He doesn't believe in healing, and he can't understand English. But when you were praying for the sick, he felt someone pick him up from behind, and his back clicked back into place. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Okay, I want to read a verse to you. We'll get in the Bible. That way, even if I preach badly, you still got a verse at some point. We opened it up. We turned there. If you have an iPhone also, you can turn there. Samsung, keep it in the pocket. We're in a holy place. Okay. We're going to be reading out of Mark 16. Mark 16 was like my least favorite chapter growing up. I used, to not, I used to read the Bible from time to time, but Mark 16, I was like, that's too difficult. I'm not reading it. I'll just skip to Luke. It's much better. But now it's one of my favorite chapters. So we're going to start Mark 16, verse 15. It says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe, he will be condemned. So to me growing up, that was Christianity right there. If you believe and you baptize, you're a Christian. Am I right? Anyone else been there? Probably only me. I know. I know. But I never read the next chapter. I was like, I believe because I believe God's real. I never knew that believing had to actually look like something. The next chapter, which we have to tie together, says, and these signs will follow those who believe. Okay? You with me? So the signs of you believing is, are you seeing this in your life? That's what Jesus is saying. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll take up serpents. It's hard to find serpents these days. They'll drink deadly things. It will by no means hurt them, and they will lay their hands on the sick, and they'll recover. I never lived that part. I never even read that part. I stopped at verse 16. I was like, I believe, and I've been baptized. I know I've been baptized. I was a pastor's kid, so I've been baptized many times. You know, every time a baptism came around, I was ready again. It's hot weather. Let's go for a dip in the pool. So that's what it was for me. Can we pray quickly just one more time? God, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're present. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in this room, that you would reveal truth to us, that the lies that we're believing about you and ourselves, that you would take it off today, that you'd reveal them to us, that we would see you clearly. And when we see you clearly, God, we'd begin to see ourselves clearly. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I went on this journey. I grew up in the church. So I knew what it was like to do church. And church to me became going, going somewhere on a Sunday to become right with God. That's what it became to me. I never understood righteousness. I never understood that I didn't need to go to church to be right with God. I got to go to church. And I think that's going to free some of you today that even coming here doesn't make you right with God. Which is actually good news. It sounds strong, but it's actually good news because nothing you can do can make you right with God. Nothing. The Bible actually says in Galatians 2.21, if righteousness came through works and what you can do, Jesus didn't need to die for you. So if you want to do it by yourself, you have to do it completely by yourself. Or you have to let Jesus do it completely by himself. It's much easier to go with Him. Or you can try to do all 600 laws. 
much more difficult. But that's what I want to tell you today because I'm going to speak about living a life like Jesus lived. Believing like Jesus believed and seeing the miracles that he saw. But it starts with believing that you're right with God. Because sometimes we get into this mix of saying what I can do makes me right with God. How I can act and make me right with God. Or we start to be so consumed by our past that we no longer realize we're right with God. Or we become so consumed with people's opinions that we forget that we're right with God. And I went on this journey of always thinking about what people thought about me. I'd be so afraid to approach someone on the street that I, that I wouldn't, even though I knew I, I wanted to love them. But I was so afraid of what they would think about me, I wouldn't be able to speak to them. Because I was consumed by their opinions of me, even though they probably weren't real. And they probably weren't accurate, but there was just this thing of always people's opinions against me. I like to say, like, in the courtroom of my mind, I was always getting judged by other people's opinions. And I was so afraid to speak to people. And God put people in my life that would preach the gospel every day. Everywhere we would go, demons would be coming out. People would be getting healed. And I just remember saying, God, I want that. I don't want this boring Christian life anymore. The problem is I still care what people think about me. So I still have somewhere to go. But it's a good start. And I remember at Bethel, I lived in this house with seven or eight other guys. And it was hard to find alone time. So my alone time was literally in my clothing cupboard, lying under my clothes with the door closed. My roommate would come in and like grab his shirt off the thing and like interrupt my quiet time. But I would lie in there and I remember for two or three weeks just saying, God, please give me, give me a passion to tell people about Jesus. I want to start sharing the, my faith, but I'm still afraid of people. And after about two weeks, God, the Holy Spirit asked me this question. And I knew it was the Holy Spirit because I'd never heard it before. And, I, and if I had a choice, I wouldn't have actually wanted to have the thought because it challenged me so much. So... The Holy Spirit asked me this question, and it literally changes my life. Three months later, after this encounter, every day I'm on the streets preaching the gospel. One year later, I'm taking drug addicts into my house, onto my couch that are twice my age. Literally, meth addicts on my couch. I'm 21 at that time, and I have 50-year-old meth addicts on my couch, and I'm fathering them. Two years later, I'm standing on a stage in Stockholm in front of 15,000 people, teaching them how to preach the gospel and commissioning them. Two years later, and it all starts with this one question the Holy Spirit asked me that changed everything for me. And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me in the most loving way. He said, what's more important to you, your fear of man or other people's eternity? That's all he asked. And I didn't feel condemned or ashamed. But he said, what's more important to you? Your fear of man or other people's eternity? And he put the ball in my court. And I realized that my life was consumed by people's opinions. Everything I did was consumed by what other people thought about me. Or what I thought about myself. Or my past. My life was consumed by those three things. There's three courtrooms of your mind. The courtroom of other people's opinions, where they're always accusing you in your mind. That's the first courtroom, other people's opinions. The second courtroom is the courtroom of your own opinions, where you're constantly accusing yourself. You don't like yourself. You look yourself in the mirror, you don't like what you see. The third courtroom is the courtroom of other people accusing you. Or the enemy accusing you, sorry. When the enemy is always accusing you of your past, he's bringing up your past. And I realized I lived in all three of those. And I'm sure that speaks to some of you today, hopefully, and a couple of you might be living in one, two, or three of those. Am I right? The three courtrooms are either living in the courtroom of other people's opinions, the courtroom of your own opinions, or the courtroom of the enemy's opinions. Are you with me with the three courtrooms? We right? Okay, so I, was, I had all three of them. Everywhere I'd go, I'd get these accusations, what are other people thinking of me? If I do that, what are they going to think about me? What do I think about myself? And the enemy is trying to bring up my past. I had all these accusations always coming. And this one passage of Scripture set me free, and it's 1 Corinthians 4. And this is what 1 Corinthians 4 says. This passage of Scripture changed the way I thought about life and changed the way I did life. Starting in verse 3, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. This is what Paul says. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself. Paul had nothing against himself. Imagine living a life having nothing against you. 
If you have nothing against yourself, you'll never care what anybody thinks about you. You literally won't. Because Paul wasn't living in the courtroom of other people's opinions because he wasn't even caring about his own opinions. See, that's what, and when I read this, I was like, that's possible. I can actually live free of other people's opinions and I can be free of my own opinions. Because when you have nothing against yourself, the enemy has nothing to accuse. And I want to tell you, each one of you, that you can be free from yourself today. You don't have to have anything against yourself. You can look yourself in the mirror and actually love what you see. You can actually see yourself the way God sees you. When God looks at you, He sees Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, You no longer live, but Jesus lives in you. When God looks at you, He sees His Son who died on the cross. He doesn't see your past sin. So often we're asking God to forgive us of these sins that He can't even remember. Because we've already asked for forgiveness. That's why it's such a one-way conversation, because He's like, I don't know what you're speaking about. We ask Him to forgive things He's already forgiven. We have to believe we're right with God, that He became sin so we can become right with Him. And that's when we can start to live out the gospel. You won't, because the Bible says the righteous are as bold as lions. And the the reason it says that is is because when you know that you're right with God, you don't need affirmation from people. I don't need someone to treat me well in the supermarket to feel loved. They can reject me, I'm going to love them because I'm not looking for anything from them. And that's why the righteous are as bold as lions, because they know they're right here. They live in God's courtroom, so I'm not living in the courtroom of people's opinions. I live in God's courtroom. I'm not looking for my own opinions about myself. What do I think about myself? I don't care. And then suddenly we aren't controlled by people's opinions. We aren't a puppet on the strings of people's opinions. We get to be free from that. When you can do that, that's when you get to live out the gospel, and it's so freeing. It's so freeing. We can have nothing against ourselves. So God asked me this question, what's more important to you? I realized my priorities are totally out of whack in my life. That I've put people's opinions higher than their eternity. And I realized now, now when I'm walking through the store, suddenly I can think and I'm like, oh my word, I can change their eternity right now with God. I start to think, that person I walked past, if they died tomorrow, they'd be going to hell. But me just stopping speaking to them, giving the Holy Spirit a platform, can change their eternity if they die tomorrow. You know, it's really simple what I'm saying, right? It's so simple that a child might be able to understand it. But we don't live it out. That's, so many people come to like, your message was so simple, it touched me so much. The simple stuff should be what we're living first, right? Like just the things of believing you're right with God and touching people. Those should be the very basics. That's the very basics of Christianity, is advancing the kingdom. So suddenly I make a choice that day, I'm going to start overcoming the fear of man. So I start begging my friends, please take me to Walmart. They, my, my evangelism was so terrible they started arguing over who got to take me to watch. <laughs> it was that bad. Everyone's like, oh, you must have been really good from the beginning. No. I would walk up to people and say, hey, Jesus loves you, and walk. They were loving it. They were like, my friends were loving watching. And I'd just walk, and every night I'd beg, please take me, please take me, please take me. And after doing that for a few weeks, maybe a month or two, suddenly I stopped caring what people thought. Suddenly, I didn't care anymore. Then I could speak to them. I could have a word of knowledge. I could get words of knowledge wrong. I could be rejected, and I didn't need anything back. I stopped caring what people thought about me. And it's so freeing, because that means you get to walk into the supermarket, and your mind not be, what is everybody thinking about me? But instead being, God, what are your thoughts about them? It's a big change. And what we, the church at large including myself for many years, we took the fear of man and fear and we made it who we were and fought for it. Fought for it. I'm not an evangelist. I'm shy. That's literally fighting for a demon spirit in your life. That's very strong, I know, but it's literally true. Literally true. I'm, God made me afraid of people. It's like trying to cling for a demon spirit. It's me. 
That's literally what we did, including myself. I'm not an evangelist, but I'm not a teacher, but I'll teach people things happily. I'm not a prophet, officer of a prophet, but I'll prophesy. But I'm not an evangelist. I will not evangelize. That's what I believe for many years. And we make the fear of man who we are instead of saying, okay, I'm struggling with fear, but I'm going to make a choice to overcome it and go on a journey to stop caring what people think about me and to start living it out and to put a burden on us, on us to win souls and to advance the kingdom. Because that's why you're still on earth is to advance the kingdom. God wants you every day to advance the kingdom. There's this statistic I read that says, over 90% of people that are brought to church are brought by someone that's been saved for less than a year. Very believable. Over 90% of people that are brought to church are brought with someone that's been saved for less than a year. And the reason for that is this. When you forget the effects of the cross in your life, you lose your passion to tell people about Jesus. If you're taking notes, thinking about a Facebook post, that's the one. <laughs> Don't use one of the bad quotes from earlier. That's the one. I'll give it to you one more time. When you forget the effects of the cross on your life, you lose your passion to tell people about Jesus. Remember the first time you got born again, the first time you encountered God, the first time you encountered righteousness, how free you felt. The next morning, waking up, finally being free from sin. How amazing. You wanted to tell your friends. You wanted to tell your family. Am I right? Because it was so abnormal to you, finally being free. What happens is over years, that becomes normal. We forget where we came from. We forget there's people feeling worse than we felt. We forget that our job is to bring them into the same freedom that we experienced. Our job is to say, Hey, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say everything that's bad in your life. I'm going to love you and bring you into freedom, bring you into a place of freedom. Yeah. Our job isn't to point fingers. It's just to love people. Amen. Love them where they're at, and God will change them. Yeah. One of the craziest things in the church is that people exclude other people from the church because their life's not right. Yeah. It's crazy. You can't come here. You don't believe what we believe. Well, going back to the club isn't going to make their life right. Where do you want them to go? I'll go back to my drug dealer. If I'm not welcome there, that'll get my life right. They need to be in here. We need to love them. There's a story which I'm going to share. It, these four men, these four men grab a paralytic man who can't walk, he can't move, he can just move his head. They pick him up on this blanket. It's actually a Bible story, Mark 2. The reason why I'm sharing it like that is because I know how it works in church. I say Mark 2, people shut off because they've heard the story. So I was going to try to spice it up. But Mark 2 is where I'm going. So basically, these four men hear that Jesus is in town. They know what Jesus can do. They've heard the stories that Jesus can heal the sick. So they know that if they can get this paralyzed man to Jesus, he can get exactly what he needs. So the four of them are carrying him on this blanket, they come up to the house where they've heard Jesus is preaching. And from the outside, the house appears to be too full. And the story goes on that these four men say, it's too full, there's no space there. And I often think, what would I do in that situation? What would I have said? If I was carrying someone in, and I know Jesus and God is right there, but there's no space, what would I do? And I wonder if I would have said, well, God, if you want to heal him, you would have made a way. You knew I was coming. You know everything. The least you could have done is made some space. But these four men are pretty crazy. They decide they have a great idea. Let's go and break the roof. That'll show them. I'm not sure about you. If I was running a home group and had a guest speaker... And the, and the roof started breaking, I wouldn't be very excited. <laughs> See, we read it as a Bible story. It becomes so normal. Oh, they broke the roof. Let's keep going. I would be like, Jesus, you're taking up an offering. The roof, we're paying for the roof. <laughs> the roof isn't going to fix itself. Like, that's awesome, but the roof, Jesus. Let's get the roof done. <laughs> so now, it's crazy. They're literally breaking through the roof. The roof's falling on the people inside because stuff falls down. 
So the roof is caving in on the people. And then suddenly, you just look up and you can see the shadows of five people and a mat coming down. <laughs> Into the floor, everyone's pushing back, and there's this paralytic man there. The fact that he could come down and lie there on a mat shows you that there was actually enough space in the house. So when I hear that, I say, God, I don't want to be someone that's in a church that people look from the outside and say, there's not space there for me. I don't want to be someone that's standing in the doorway, a self-proclaimed spiritual bouncer. We have too many of those in the church that we think we get to keep people out. Are you struggling with that sin? You can't come in here. We've made self-proclaimed spiritual bounces. I pray, God, I don't want to be one of those that pe I'm so focused on what I can get that I forget to look out and make a room for someone that needs to come in. Because they're so focused on what they can get here, they forget to look out and say, who can we bring in? They don't look out and see the paralytic man and say, let's make room for this guy who needs an encounter. They never even think about it. They're so focused on here that they never look to the world. They're so focused on getting an encounter that they don't want to become an encounter. And there's nothing wrong with seeking an encounter with God. I believe in it as long as we're also looking out and saying, who can we get in? Because what we don't want is the world looking at the church and saying, there's not space there for me. I've looked, there's not space. I've been there, there's no space for me. So these four men drop him through. And Jesus looks at them and says, by your faith, the four men's faith, his sins are forgiven. And he goes and says, get up and walk. And I, this story is amazing to me because by my faith, someone else can be healed. Jesus literally says, by your faith, their sins are forgiven. That's crazy. And in our lives, we see people that are broken, that are hurting. And we know that if we can just get them to Jesus, they can get what they need. But there's things that stand in our way. And sometimes, often it's the fear of man. The fear of man is the roof in our lives. That we're like, okay, I have someone that needs an encounter. I know if I can get them to Jesus, they can be healed. But what length are you willing to go to for that encounter to happen? Are you willing to break through roofs? Are you willing to overcome the fear of man? Are you willing to take away the excuses of saying, well, if God wants to touch them, he'll touch them? Are you willing to break through the roofs in your life, the fear of man, the people's opinions of you, things like, I don't have time? At work, worrying what your, what your other colleagues will think about you. What's your boss going to think? Are you willing to break down the walls to become an encounter with God? Are you willing to bring people into an encounter with God? Are you willing to bring broken people and just take them to Jesus and He's the one that will encounter them? He's the one that encounters them, but it's the four people's faith that enables it to happen. So us as a church, we need to be people that can say, okay, we're going to bring people into an encounter. We're going to go out there, fetch people and bring them in here so they can touch God in God's house. Because those people that, that will get touched in here will become the best evangelists. There's an amazing pastor called Carl Lentz. He's part of a church called Hillsong, New York. And I feel like the Holy Spirit just reminded me of this story. But when he was first starting his church, they literally had like seven or eight services on a Sunday morning. I've been to their church in, um, in New York, and it's an incredible church. They're reaching everyone. I was like worshiping. And then Justin Bieber was like in front of me suddenly worshiping. And I was like, this is pretty crazy, but praise God, trying to worship. They're literally reaching everyone. Like celebrities are coming. Justin flies there weekly just to attend church. So when, so when this is happening, yeah, isn't that amazing? It's easy to judge celebrities when you don't know them. People have a lot of opinions about a lot of celebrities, and I'm always like, well, how well do you know them? Yeah, but that's, that's another topic. So as they're starting the church, there's literally seven or, eight, seven or eight services on a Sunday. And he's standing outside in the back alley in between services. And there's a man there that has a U.S. Army veteran's cap on. He's drinking alcohol. You can see he's drunk. You can see he's homeless, a broken man. And Carl feels to just go over and speak to him. So he goes over and he says, hey, I started church. 
Um, do you want to come in? Do you want to sit down with us? And this man has so much shame. He says, no, no. They won't want me in there. I smell bad. And Carl said, no, no, no. You don't understand how church you can come. And he said, no, you don't understand. I look bad. I just don't want to come. I don't. All I want is a beer. So Carl said, okay, if I buy you a beer, will you come to church? Seriously, if I buy you a beer, will you come to church? And this challenged me, honestly, in the beginning, this idea. So the man says, yes, if you buy me a beer, you'll come to church. So Carl brings him, and he takes a seat on the front row, this man with the beer. So you know how preachers are always like, praise God, with their water? The man's like, yeah, praise God. <laughs> drinking a beer, yeah, Pastor Carl, amen. So he's drinking his, he has his beer. At the end of the night, he comes forward and receives Jesus. Within a couple months, they had to reserve two whole rows for that man and the friends he was bringing into the church. And the amazing thing is, the thing that shocks me is this one of the women in the church came and confronted Carl and said, that's so wrong that, you, that you're letting a man with sin into the church. And his response is what I love. His response was, at least I can see his beer. I can smell your pride. I love that. I was like, yes. I can see his beer, but I can smell your pride. See, who are we to say no to people in the church? Like it's our church. This is God's house. See, if somebody comes in with a beer and then gets saved, set free, and delivered, I'm fine with getting them into the church. But we can be so, like, judging stuff. Like, self-proclaimed bounces, you can't come in here, you have a beer. This is where they need to be. This is where they have to be. And we can't have pride to say, well, I'm better than you. Without Jesus, you aren't better than anyone. We have to realize, and the reason I share that is because I just think that this church is going to be known for making a space for everyone. I believe that this church will be focused on the outside. They'll see people coming and make room for them to come in. They'll make people feel welcomed. And people will come back. And my prayer is that I'll come back in 6 or 12 months or whenever. And this church will be way too small for how many people are coming. That the building will be too small. I didn't say that to hype up anyone or to get a, a response. But it's my heart because that's the gospel. And the goal isn't a big church. But that's a byproduct of the goal. It has to be. People getting saved and plugged in. You're like, well, it's not about getting a big church. Well, what's it about? Seeing people touched by God's love. Where do they go once they're touched by God's love? Into the church. So what's the goal? Getting people into the church. Right? That's the, that's the end goal, that people would come in here, be equipped, but then go out. And that's what I want to hit on tonight, is that we have to make a church, you and, we have to make a choice, you and me, of saying, you know what, people's opinions, they aren't as important to me about what I can do for their eternity with Jesus. You can change someone's eternity tomorrow, tonight even, at the gas station, wherever you go. You have the ability to change someone else's eternity with your life. And I remember the first time I led someone to Jesus, I wrote in my journal. I remember writing it. I said, it feels like doing something you were always created to do. And it was the most incredible experience because I believe that when you get saved, you become a new creation. Like your body becomes a new creation. Because the Bible in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you become a new creation. That word actually means new species if you look it up. Like literally a new species. So I'm leading this woman to the Lord and I said, I'd prayed for her legs for healing. They never got healed. She had constant pain in her legs. But so I shared the gospel with her. She wants to receive Jesus. I said, okay, when you receive Jesus, your life will become brand new. Your body will become brand new. Your spirit and soul will all become brand new right now. She says, okay. So I lead her in this prayer to start a relationship with Jesus. She says, amen. She looks at me and she says, all the pain's gone in my legs. I never prayed for healing. She looks at me and she says, I felt a black cloud go out of me and lift off of me. Never prayed to be set free. See, I believe that when you become a Christian, you get completely born again. Literally born again. Like out of my bloodline into... My father's bloodline, Jesus' bloodline. See, I don't have to struggle with generational curses from 10 years ago. It literally makes no sense because then I have to go back to Adam. 
It's a long way to go back to deal with people's problems. I was speaking about it with someone this week, and I was like, okay, you have generational curses. Well, why haven't you been born into Jesus' bloodline? How many curses did Jesus have? None. You aren't. If the Bible says that you were corrupted seed, and now you're incorruptible. You can't be corrupted. See, when you believe this, you believe that you're right with God, you'll want to tell people about Jesus. If you don't believe that you're right with God, you won't want to evangelize. You know why? Because I would never walk up to someone and be like, hey, you should become a Christian. They're like, why? You can live the rest of your life with shame and condemnation. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. That's why when we don't believe we're righteous, we don't want to share the gospel. My growing up in the Christian home and I fell into sin in that time, I would have never ever wanted to share with someone because I wouldn't want them to go through what I'm going through with shame, condemnation. When you believe you're right with God, you suddenly want to share it. You suddenly want to bring people into encounter with God. And my charge to you is that you would literally just say, okay, God, I'm going to take off all these excuses that I think I have because we give ourselves more rights than Jesus had. Like the right to be offended at people. We give ourselves these rights. Jesus never even had the right, but we deserve it. Think about this. Jesus is on the cross. Wow, there's no cross in this church. Very rare. Normally, I don't even have to look before the time. I just know there's going to be one. No problem, though. That was not a dig or anything. It's amazing. But normally, normally I just know if I turn around, I can point, and it's going to be there. But um, <laughs> Okay, move on. It's joke's done. Think about this. Jesus is on the cross. People are literally throwing rocks at Jesus. Literally throwing rocks at him while he's dying. Who is he dying for? The people throwing rocks at him. See, you and me sometimes would have done this. Off the cross, I'm not dying until you apologize. (laughs) What's the greatest form of love? Jesus on the cross, right? Greatest form of love. I'm not dying until you apologize. Else you'll never learn your lesson. Or, or, you know I hate rocks being thrown at me, but you still threw rocks. If I forgive you, you'll never learn your lesson. You can't imagine Jesus doing it, but we do it often. What's wrong between you and your family members? Oh, they treat me badly. Oh, you're offended? Yeah, I'm offended. You don't have the right to be offended. Or people come, can you please pray for my neighbor? I'm very angry at them. Your neighbor's not the one that needs prayer. (laughs) Right? Your neighbor's not the one that needs prayer. You should be praying for her to be saved because you're so broken that she could be angry. It's a big difference. Because when you realize that the only reason someone's treating you badly is because they're blind... They're literally blind to the, to the truth. Suddenly you won't be offended by them, but instead you'll hurt for them. If a person that was actually blind couldn't see walked into you on the street, you wouldn't be like, oh, you stupid blind person. You should know better. Never. It even feels bad just saying as a joke there. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, is that okay? But we do that to non-believers. We literally do that to non-believers. You should know better. I'm offended. My boss treated me badly, honey. We get home from work, you know. My boss treated me badly. Your boss is blind. They don't know why they're doing it. They literally don't know why they're doing it. Love them. Your boss shouldn't be more powerful than God's word. People's, People's opinions of you shouldn't be more powerful than God's word. How they treat you shouldn't influence who you are. God's word influences who you are, not how people treat you. You're like, well, how long do I love someone for? Because I know it's hard sometimes with family members. Maybe it's 10, 15, 20 years. How long? As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Wouldn't it be worth it even if you had problems for 70 years and they finally got saved? Wouldn't that be worth it? Even just for one person. It would be so worth it. I want to just, it's almost closing time. Pastors say that, I know preachers say it, but I'm serious. I'm coming to an end sometime in the next hour. (laughs) 
Are you guys doing good? Everyone still with me? Good. And I know sometimes when I share this, it sounds like it's very harsh, but it's actually very freeing. Because I understand going to church for many years, what it's like to go to church and just get in the routine. So that's why I share this, because it's actually freeing that you don't need people to feel valued or loved. It's very freeing. Because then someone can treat you so badly, but you still love them, because you realize the purest form of love is Jesus dying on the cross. And then you say, okay, I'm going to lay my life down to love people. The Bible says, just as he lived the life of love, you do too. Lay your life down. Love people. And that means that you don't need anything in return. You literally get to love them, not expecting anything back. But if you can turn, if, if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 John. Almost every time I preach, I preach out of 1 John. It's one of my, one of, if not my favorite book in the Bible. Just because I believe it speaks to where the church is at today in the world. Because John got to literally live with Jesus for three years. Pretty crazy experience. Crazy experience, actually. Living with God himself in the flesh for three years, watching him do life. Three and a half years. Craziness. I, don't, I always say this, but I don't know if I would want to be one of the 12 or just watch the 12 interact with him. Because Jesus was quite intense sometimes. Like his 12 best friends, he's like, how long should I waste my time with you perverse generation? I would be hurt. Like, I get hurt if my friend says it to me. Imagine God. How long should I bear with you? So I'm like, I would love to watch them, but I'm not sure if I'd want to, like, get too involved. You know what I mean? So now, John walks to Jesus for three and a half years, gets to live with the other 11 um, disciples. And by the time he's writing 1 John, it's about 90 years after Jesus has died on the cross. Roughly 90 years. So... I grew up in the church as a pastor's kid, like I said. So I've seen a lot change in the church in my 22 years. I've seen a lot change in the church. And what I mean by that is lots of different beliefs come in and out of the church. If you've been in church for any time at all, you know what I mean. These beliefs come, you suddenly hear, have you heard what that church is teaching? And all these different beliefs, these doctrines, even lifestyles where people are like advocating lifestyles. And you're like, where do you even find that in the Bible? And imagine the first 90 years of Christianity. That would have been crazy to see what was happening in the church. So John got to hear Jesus teach every day and then got to see the 90 years after he died. That would be bizarre to watch what was happening. They didn't even have the Bible yet. Remember that. They were still writing it. They were still composing it. But So he literally walks like that. And then after 90 years, that puts John roughly at 110 years old. And he's too old to travel to the churches to speak to them. So it's as if he's writing one last letter to, to Christians as a whole, to followers of Jesus around the world. It's his last letter to them saying, you know what, before I go, I just want to summarize what I'm seeing, and I just want to bring it back to the truth. That's what he's doing here in First John. He's bringing it back to what's important. He's bringing back the things that he's seen gone wrong in the church. And this is what he says in First John 2 verse 6. It says, He who says he abides in him, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And he summarizes Christianity. So simply, he who says he abides in him, talking about God, Jesus, he who says he abides in Jesus. Do you say you abide in Jesus? He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Doesn't that change what Christianity looks like? It changed it for me. Because it changed from going to church, attending church, and that's very important. But it changed it to saying, if I say I'm living in Him, my life has to look like His. And now I get to wake up every day and say, God, I pray that my life would look more like Jesus's today than yesterday. I want you to manifest through me more today than yesterday. And I'm on this journey of hungering for God for more, not being complacent, saying, well, my life is perfectly like Jesus. I believe it can totally possibly be like that. And I believe I will get there, but I know right now I'm not walking in the full power that I could. So I'm going to keep seeking until every person I prayed for is healed. Yeah. Every person I prayed for is freed. Because that's God's will, and I'm not walking in it yet, and that's not okay. And I'm not going to make excuses and say it's the other people's fault. I'm going to say, God, I'm going to keep seeking you. I'm going to pray and fast till I walk out of life just like Jesus lived. 
Because my goal is to become a walking encounter with your love. That people would come into contact with me and encounter God's love. And through my life, many people would be saved. Because the one thing that's going with you into eternity is not your bank account, your car, or even your family, but it's the souls. It's the people that we get to lead to Jesus. Is there anything more valuable than a human soul? There's literally nothing more valuable than a human soul, but it's one of our last priorities in our mind. There's literally nothing more valuable than a human soul, yet it's not a priority to us. And today is an opportunity for us to say, you know what, God? I'm going to stop saying fear is who I am. I'm going to stop saying I was created this way. I'm going to say yes to believing in you and letting the signs follow me. The signs not being the goal, but knowing that if I believe in you and walk it out, the signs will follow me. And when I say yes, I'm not going to live in the courtroom of people's opinions. I'm not going to live in my own opinions. But I'm going to live to, to bring people into an encounter. I'm not going to be so focused up here that I'm not going to bring people in there. But I want to bring people to Jesus. Through my life and through my faith, I want to see other people set free. I want to get to heaven and God. And, and, and Jesus says, because sometimes I think that when we get to heaven, it's going to be way different than we think. We're going to get there and say, God, I was right about the rapture. And he's just simply going to say, did you live out Mark 16? Did you love people? Did you preach the gospel, heal the sick? And we're going to be like, well, Jesus, I had this amazing revelation of the book of Revelation. And he's going to be like, did you live out Mark 16? And I just want to be able to be faithful and say, God, I lived out what you told me to do. I influenced my workplace. I influenced my society. I loved the best I could. Government was changed because of me. And I believe this church is going to change the society around it. I really feel that in this church there's going to be society influenced through it. Businesses influenced through it. Through going out and preaching the gospel, through loving them, that God's bringing influential people into the church. And this church is going to be known in the city for preaching the gospel, for loving people. Because I shared this this morning, this is the only country in the world, and I'm saying this completely honestly, the only country in the world where if you just pray for someone, they'll ask you what church you go to and come to your church. I'm serious. Only, only country in the world I've ever experienced it. Because people are so tired of not living the true Christian life. Literally, this last weekend in Cape Town, the pastor, I'm preaching at church, he starts stepping out praying for people. People are just like, where's your church? They're already Christians, but God said to me, it's time for the sleeper agents to awake in this nation. And what sleeper agents are is they go into a separate like, country or something like that, into a separate culture, and they're almost dormant there until they're told by their leader to awaken and do their job. And it's time for all the Christians that have been sleeping to awaken and start doing what they're called to do. Amen. And it's our job to also spread the word and say, the boss says it's time to wake up. Let's wake up. Because people in this nation are looking for an accurate representation of Jesus. And they're looking to you for it. Can we stand so I can pray for you? I just believe as I pray now that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In the book of Acts, it speaks about the Holy Spirit and boldness coming upon them. And I believe that's going to happen today. And as you go out tomorrow, that you'll live a life like Jesus lived. My goal is not that I would preach the most amazing message, but rather that lives would be changed, that a journey would be started, that we would say yes to living for people's eternity. And that's all I ask of you today is that you would say, God, I'm not going to make the fear of man who I am anymore. Tomorrow in the supermarket, I'm going to step out. When I sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm actually going to live it. Yeah. I'm actually going to share the gospel with someone. That's, that's what I asked you to do today, just that you would start the journey, that you would come on the journey with me of overcoming the fear of man and preaching the gospel. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come right now. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you more than we know. Teach us to be reliant on you. Teach us to surrender to you. I ask for great boldness to come upon every person in here. That necessity to preach the gospel would be laid upon every person in here, God. 
that, that Holy Spirit, you would pour out God's love in us, that you would overwhelm us with God's love for people, that, that we would remember the cross, that you would remind us of the cross, of our encounter with you the first time we encountered righteousness. Bring it to memory, God. Holy Spirit, overwhelm us with your love. Let everything we do be done out of love for people. Never seeking signs, but just seeking love, God. And I pray through every person here that their workplace would be touched. Their businesses would be changed. Everywhere they go, they would destroy hell, God. And that you would give this church great influence into society, into the poor of society, and both into the wealthy, God. That they would have great influence with the people. And that we would always make a space for lost people, God. Show us how to reach people. Give us divine strategy on how to reach the lost kids. Give us the divine strategy on how to see souls saved. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.